I'll have the, uh, the scriptures we do this morning I'll have up, but they'll be a little hard to see, so I just encourage you to have your scriptures open to Matthew 27. We have been moving through Matthew since uh, September of 2015. We have arrived at the 27th chapter. Um, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, next weekend is Palm Sunday. We're doing our tears, ashes, and trumpets service, so we'll, there'll be time for lamenting about the things in the world. There'll be time for repentance over our own sin. There's time for celebrating in that service. Our Good Friday service, we actually read through the entire, uh, all of chapter 27 again. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to, I just pulled out three, three parts of this chapter, and um, I'm going to read through just each of those parts, give a short meditation on it. Um, we'll have some time for praying and singing in between those parts. Um, and then it'll culminate as we gather around the table this morning. Um, so a little different uh, as we go this morning. First meditation is on Matthew 27, verses 11 through 14, and it's about Jesus who suffered in silence. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. It's interesting, uh, there's actually all through the Gospels, there's a number of different places where Jesus is purposely silent. Um, and in the Passion Week, there's several other places as well, Matthew 26 Verse 62, when he was being accused by the high priest, the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But it says, But Jesus remained silent. In Luke 23, when he's before Herod, Antipas, Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. And so Herod questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. I know we've probably all been in a spot at some point in time where we're falsely accused, uh, maybe misunderstood. Perhaps we've discovered that somebody has misrepresented us. Um, What do we want to do? I want to set the record straight. That's what I want to do. I want to correct it. Um, We live in a culture today where um, everyone's voice gets heard. There's an unending number of avenues today to express our voice. Um, we're quick to defend ourselves. We're quick to challenge. Someone says something and immediately somebody responds. It's just the place we live in today. We want to make sure our words are, are heard and it's um, difficult, maybe even rare, to have silence. Um, and if anyone had a right to speak up, to correct things, to put it straight, it was Jesus. Um, so why did he, in so many cases, um, stay silent? Um, in that culture, they, the accused, when they were brought before, uh, like Pilate in this case, they were expected to give an answer. So charges were brought, and um, you didn't have a lawyer who did it. You were expected to stand up and, and make some kind of statement towards it, to present their case. And at first in the story, Pilate actually gets frustrated. I think he wanted Jesus to answer. He wanted to set him free. He knew this was just out of jealousy that they were bringing him. Um, He wanted Jesus to answer, and he's getting frustrated because it's not proceeding as he wanted to. 
And then later on, it tells us that when Jesus didn't answer, he, he was amazed. Because he understood something of what was going on. And he understood that Jesus was innocent. And yet Jesus didn't answer. Truth is, Jesus came into the world to die for our sin. And he was taking the place for us as sinners in condemnation and death. Get that. Jesus took on the place of us as sinners in condemnation and in death. And because he carried our sin, he carried our guilt. And our sin has no defense. We're guilty. There's no excuse. And so Jesus takes that condition on himself and stands not guilty in himself, but guilty on our behalf. If I had been there and stood before him, Jesus himself, and accused him of my sins, if I had stood before Jesus, which we've done, and shifted the blame to him, Jesus would have remained silent. He stands there silent because he is guilty, not in himself, but as our representative. And so he stands there and he takes full responsibility for our sins. God of the universe, standing silent, taking it on himself. One question came to mind as I was thinking about this is Jesus did in these, this section speak several times. He was silent before the high priest, but then he did speak to him. He was silent before Pilate when the charges were being brought, but later on he speaks to him about truth and authority. And essentially, if you go and look in the uh, passion narrative of that, that last day, look at the places where he spoke. It was always about his authority. It never defended himself. He didn't respond to the charges. He spoke and declared his authority every single time when he spoke up. To the chief priest, he said he would be sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne. To Pilate, he confirms that Pilate says that he's a king, and then the second time he states, you don't know who's really in charge. God is in charge, and I'm standing here before you. He says to him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. His words were only to state that he has all authority, and then his silence is actually a further expression that he is in charge, that he's in authority. The, the choice to remain silent is an expression of the power of his authority. It's hard to stay silent. It's hard not to defend. And only one who knows his place can do so. And so Jesus' silence becomes a display of his power and his authority over what was happening. Isaiah 53 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. If you'd pray with me, let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Lord, it is staggering that the eternal God of the universe who created all things stood in silence. Stood in our place and took all the accusations that belong to us.
We thank you because of that, that you are the cornerstone, you are the foundation, you are the rock that we can stand on, the one that we can go to, because you hold authority and control. We thank you for doing that on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. my cry, O oh God, now listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. Hear my cry, O oh God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, sanctuary safe beneath the shelter of your wings let me live forever in your sanctuary safe beneath the shelter of your wings and when my heart is overwhelmed and when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that is higher. When my heart is overwhelmed. And when my heart is overwhelmed, 
When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the right. Lead me to the right. Lead me to the rock that is higher. Jesus not only suffered in silence, but he suffered in his body as well. Beginning with verse 24, it says, When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, he washed his hands before the crowd. He said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put on a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. They kneeled before him, they mocked him, they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and took the reed and they struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Interesting, the scriptures just say they led him to be crucified. They all knew what this was about. They knew what it looked like. Jesus came to give his life. He spoke of it frequently, reminding them that's what he came to do. He came to suffer for us, and a part of that suffering was the physical punishment, the pain, and the humiliation that he submitted to. The scriptures tell us that he he took on human flesh um, for our behalf, and as such, he suffered physically on our behalf as well. When when we're in pain, no matter how small it is, we look for relief. Um, I think all of us do. Jesus embraced the cross and all that it would do to him. The beating began in the presence of the high priest. We so that the other week, um, as all their kind of rage came out once they found him, said he was guilty, and he was later, it tells us here that he was scourged by Pilate, mocked by the soldiers as well after meeting with Herod in both places. Um, before the crucifixion, there's a flogging that they would do. There was actually three different levels of it. Um, most people believe that Jesus uh, was held at the third level of the flogging, which was generally for those who are actually being crucified because there's different kinds of crimes. Sometimes people are just given a, a level one flogging and re- released um, or went to prison or something. The second, third, Jesus did the third level. People would often die before they ever got to the crucifixion from the third level of flogging that happened. Uh, most of us have seen pictures of things, the, the instruments that they used to flog them was intended to tear away the flesh from them, and it would wrap around. Um, it would sometimes expose the spine um, in, in the midst of the flogging. And it was done before a battalion. A battalion was 600 soldiers. Um, and what went on, just this, it's just like a huge gathering. Um, and they had perfected what they did. Crucifixion was actually first invented by the Persians, um, who would actually put people on stakes. Um, the the Romans took it, and they, they actually worked hard 
perfected into a means of torture and eventual execution. Um, it was designed to, if they want to make it happen quick, they can make quick, or they can make it last for days and days and days. It's where we get our word excruciating from. It's intended not just to execute, but was designed to humiliate and to drag on the physical pain for as long as possible. Interesting, Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified except from a direct order from Caesar himself because no matter what they did, they would say they didn't deserve that. Those who were crucified were stripped completely naked. Interesting that the, the greatest one to ever walk on this earth owned nothing but his clothes on his back. The nails were seven to nine inches long, and they went through the hand or the wrist. Um, they, they would put them through without breaking the bones, so the bones would hold the, the part in place. Usually it went through what's called the median nerve and would paralyze the hand, um, and it caused minimal bleeding so they could hold them on that cross for a long period of time. The knees were bent at 45 degrees um, and then uh, nailed into the cross, sometimes in the front of the cross, other times on the sides, and the, the nails would go through the sides of the feet. I don't know if you've ever, anybody that works out, if you ever go to a 45-degree stance and just stand there, you wear out really, really fast. It's amazing how quickly you wear out. The shoulders uh, would become dislocated as well as the elbows and wrists, and the position they were in would make the breathing difficult, just the way it would pull on the arms the, the, the issue on crucifixion was they couldn't breathe. And so to get a breath, they'd have to push up to get their body upright more to take in a breath, and then it would slog down. So it's just constantly trying to push up to be able to get a, a breath. The, lower, the oxygen levels would lower in the body. The heart rate would increase as the victim has to push up with the feet to get a proper breath. But in the same time, the legs are just starting to shake and become depleted of strength. Sometimes they would place a small block underneath them so they could sit on, and that was meant so they could breathe longer. And so when they did that, there were some people that were on crosses up to eight days before they died because just stretch it out. In the case of Jesus, they did an extreme flogging, I think, to weaken him as much as possible in order to hasten the death because they, the Sabbath day was coming and they wanted to take him down. So it was increased the... So there had been a lot more bleeding in his particular case in, um, in order to precipitate the death a little bit quicker. As we read in scriptures, that if, they, if they had to get him off the cross and they were dead, they would break their legs, and that way they couldn't breathe, and they would basically die as asphyxiation and uh, just couldn't breathe anymore. And we know in the story that the criminals on each side, they broke their legs, but in Jesus, when they found him, he had already died. Death would come from dehydration, heart failure, suffocation, or excessive bleeding. And all these were happening with Jesus. But interesting, in the end, it says he gave up the spirit. Um, Jesus chose the end. Um, and he died, but he died at his own command. From John 19, it says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said this to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Philippians chapter 2 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but rather he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, um, even death on the cross. I wonder if a few people would just offer up um, perhaps a prayer of thanksgiving um, to the Lord. Just a few people, if you would do that, prayers of thanksgiving. We give you thanks that for the joy set before you, which was us, you endured the cross. And in your humility, you brought us new life. We give you thanks.
You are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble King. Sing that again. You are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus. To have this heart in me, you are the God of the humble, you are the humble King. Oh, kneel me down again here at your feet, show me how much you love humility. Oh, Spirit, be the star that leads me to the humble heart of love I see in you. You are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary. Embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble King. Oh, kneel me down again here at your feet. Show me how much you love humility. Oh, Spirit, be the star that leads me to the humble heart of love I see in you. You are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble King. You are the God of the broken. The friend of the weak, you wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble. You are the God of. Jesus suffered in
silence, he suffered in pain, he also suffered in separation. Verse 45, it says this, the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling for Elijah, and one of them ran at once and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine, and he put it on a reed and gave him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What, uh, as we consider all that Jesus endured on the cross, um, it's, there's lots of people that were crucified. Um, but it was not the same for anyone else, because Jesus, it tells us, was the pure and spotless lamb, and innocent, holy, and righteous, and yet uh, something that was un- could not see, um, he bore, in some sense, the full weight of sin of the world. Nobody could see that. They just saw a man on the cross, but Jesus was carrying all the sin. What is it like to be a holy God who then takes on the entire depth of corruption from the garden until all time on himself? Scriptures tell us that this darkness uh, suddenly came over, over the land for three hours, a picture of almost like the heavens are closed off. And it says, Jesus cried out these words, and these words that came from Psalm 22. I was thinking, what does it take? Um, what does it take for the living God to cry out in anguish? Um, God himself suddenly just rending the silence with this cry. The deep separation that was caused by sin. And we don't know the mechanics of it. We try to think through the Trinity and how it's one and yet how Jesus, uh, how that all works. I don't understand it. And yet Jesus experiences in some sense um, what it is to have the veil of the temple between him and the Father. Something that we've, we're born with. Um, something that we know because of our sin. Something that God had in, the, in his in His unity had never known before some sort of alienation and separation and so there's this he has this cry this God cries out in anguish the cry of deep soul agony he had been abandoned by disciples condemned by the high court and his own people taunted by the enemies ridiculed by the Jewish populace and the leaders mocked by the criminals on either side of him, and here he's God himself is left alone. Jesus forsaken by all. In some sense, Jesus forsaken, the separation between him and the Father happens. I wonder if the Spirit and the Father cried out as well. When they experienced that within that unity, if they all cried out in anguish. Shrouded in darkness, racked by pain, he experienced the cup of judgment and wrath. And he had the experience of deep, deep relational alienation on every single level. 
Galatians 3 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Martin Luther, um, trying to describe this experience that Jesus had in the exchange between the Father and Jesus as Jesus became sin for us, describes it this way. It says, O merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law, sent his only Son into the world and laid upon him all the sins of all men, saying, You be Peter the denier, Paul the persecutor, the blasphemer, the cruel oppressor. You be David the adulterer, the sinner who ate the apple in paradise, the thief who hung upon the cross. And briefly, you be the person who has committed the sins of all men. See, therefore, that you pay and satisfy for them. Before the cross, we were cast out of God's presence and alienated. And after the cross and Christ being alienated, we are welcomed into the full presence of God. There's lots of discussion about how, as I said before, how did Jesus die? Did he bleed to death? Did he suffocate? Did his heart give out? The fact is, once his work was finished, he said, it is finished, and he gave himself up. Jesus was in control of his death, and he embraced it when all was covered for us, when it was finished and completed, and not before. In that sense, he wasn't killed, but he he gave up his life. And at the moment of separation and death, the veil tears. Right at that moment, Jesus declares it over. He gives up his life, and the veil is rent, and suddenly the door is open for us. It's just wide open for all those who come by faith, ending our separation and our alienation from God. The culmination of our service, as we do every week, is the table in front of us. We come and we give thanks. We are realigned again. Um, we remember what he did. We look forward to the days coming. We have three tables here on the side and the back. If you're visiting this morning, um, is for believers who put their trust in Jesus. That's it. That's all we have to have done. Put our trust in him. We break off the bread and we dip it in the cup. We gather to remember and give thanks for Jesus and his work. At the cross, God expresses his full judgment upon sin. At the cross, God endures full judgment against sin. And at the cross, God enables free salvation for all those who believe, coming with nothing to offer but our sin and walking away with newness of life. We pray for the bread and cup, and as we sing, just invite you to come forward. Lord, draw our hearts by giving us just maybe a glimpse of your glory and your holiness and the wonder of what you did. Just still stunned at the creator of the universe crying out in anguish. We thank you, Lord, that you offered that freely as we sometimes sing you joyously grip 
the wood and the nails for us. We thank you because of your great work and the bread and cup that remind us of it, that this table is open, that there's a seat there and has our name on it, that you are a host who's with a smile on your face and welcoming us to the table. And we get to enjoy the full goodness of all that you meant for us. So as we take it this morning, Lord, we honor you and we give you thanks. Amen. you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you and all I do to honor you. In all I do to honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again.
amazing love how can it be that you my king would die for me amazing love I know it's true and it's my joy to honor you amazing love amazing love how can it be that you my king would die for me amazing love I know it's true it's my joy to honor you and all I do to honor in all I do to honor you. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Sing it. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you. Our sin is gone, our debt's been paid. You gave, you gave your life away for us, for all. You lived a sinless life, yet you were crucified. You bought our freedom on the cross. 
forsaken for our sin, you died and rose again. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave. Grace is broken every chain. Our sin is gone, our debts are paid. You gave, you gave your life away for us. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away for us. Your grace is broken in every chain. Our sin is gone, our debt's been paid. You gave, you gave your life away for us. Sing it again. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away for us. Your grace is broken every chain. Our sin is gone, our debt's been paid. You gave, you gave your life away for us. For Let's all stand together. Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on the curse. Entrenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name. I'm the Lord our God who oh, praise His name forevermore for endless days we will sing His praise oh Lord oh Lord our God The break of dawn, the sun of heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roared, the cry 
to be sent, preserve us with your mighty power, that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity, and in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purposes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. From Ephesians 2, it says, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and he has raised us up with him, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in all the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that we can boast. But we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brian. are good words to remember as we sing as we're being sent first verse again. First verse again. What love could remember no wrongs we have done. I'm missing all knowing he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is We constantly What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood near the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy praise the Lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more of Jesus on the cross rescues, restores, 
and makes us alive. And then it instructs us to go out as sent people walking in the works that he has prepared for us to do. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.